Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland. We take timeless biblical truth and help you to apply it in the context of your daily life. If you'd like to join us live at one of our campuses or stream one of our services online, go to peavine.org for times, locations, and more information. Thank you to the worship team. Thank you for being here today. Matthew chapter 6, if you have your Bibles. Matthew chapter 6. I'm starting a new sermon series today. I'll do most of the summer called FAQ, Answers to Your Questions About the Christian Life. Here, here's what I discovered. If you'll remember, uh, just a little while ago, I preached a series through Matthew 5 called The Difference. And I've never, never in my ministry preached through the Sermon on the Mount and so I just started, I, back then, I, I, I looked at Matthew 6 and 7 and made some notes and, and I thought, here's what Jesus is doing in Matthew 6 and 7. He is, um, he, he's answering questions about the Christian life. We're going to see it right off the bat. And so what I'm going to wind up doing is, is just taking Jesus's answers to the basic questions about Christian life. For example, we're going to spend about two weeks on prayer because Jesus gives us the disciples prayer coming up here just shortly. And so we're going to spend a couple of weeks on prayer and it's just going to be a, 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 what I think a really informative and good sermon series as we, as we go through this uh, uh, together, Matthew 6 and 7. And so FAQ, so I hope you're here through all of that. Matthew chapter 6, and if you're joining us online at the Rossville campus, thank you. I know so many people traveling today. Thank you for watching, even when you're on vacation out. And thank you, Rossville. Man, we're excited about what's going on there. I want to preach on this subject. Almost all of my titles will have how-to. How to be righteous without being self-righteous. How to be righteous without being self-righteous. You know, when you go to the movies, you're not always getting what you think you are getting. Sometimes a movie is just a fancy way to sell a product. For, for example, I saw this chart the other day, 2021's biggest product placement movies. For example, the movie Don't Look Up, they were paid $277 million for products that were placed inside the movies. Free Guy, $211 million. Uh, uh, Fast and Furious, 99, $199 million. The Guilty, 174. Space Jam, 151. Spider-Man, $97 million. Companies paid them millions and millions of dollars for one thing, just put our product. So when you see a Coke can in a movie, it's not there by accident. When you see a Chevrolet or a Ford, it's not there by accident. Now, I say this, and I don't know what half those movies are, but, but can I go back and even talk about some in my generation? It was my generation in the 80s that really started this trend, and it took off widely then. For example, does anybody know what this movie, what this photo is from, what movie that's from? The, the, the real Top Gun, right? The original one. Tom Cruise is wearing Ray-Ban aviator sunglasses. Now, in 1982, Ray-Ban was about to close their doors. They only made, in 1982, 18,000 pairs of sunglasses in total. And then Tom Cruise, about that time, wore Ray-Bans in the movie Top Gun. And by 1988, they were selling Four million pairs of the aviators alone a year. A year. 19, 
1999, the Ohio Art Company was on the verge of declaring bankruptcy. Does anybody know what this movie is? Toy Story 2. Featured a 45-second clip of an Etch-a-Sketch, drawing sketches. And the stock price rose overnight by 20%. And then in 1982, you know what that movie is? E.T. You know what his favorite candy was? Reese's Pieces. Do you know they offered that to the M&M company and M&M didn't think it would be worth it to invest in the movie. And Reese's Pieces sales went up by 80% alone in 1982. Why do I tell you all that? Because you go to the movies thinking you are getting entertained when in reality you're getting sold. You go to the movies, think you're watching a movie, but you're not watching a movie. You're watching a two-hour-long commercial. And we fall prey to what they want us to see and instead of what we think we're really seeing. We fall prey to what they want us to see instead of what we think we're really seeing. Now, hold on. Listen to me. We fall prey to what they want us to see. Instead of what we're actually seeing. And see, that's okay in the movies. But that's not okay in real life. And it's absolutely not okay in the Christian life. It's not okay to make people think they're seeing one thing when they're actually seeing another. In the Christian life, God wants you to be serious about your relationship with Him. And and can I be honest? Almost all of Christianity falls into two categories. There are those who take their walk with God very seriously. We call that righteousness. When you take your walk with God very seriously, when you take your daily time with God very seriously, when you take the Bible seriously, when you take holiness seriously, we call that righteousness. There are those in the Christian life who take their walk with God seriously, but then the other category are those who want others to think they take their walk with God seriously. And that's called self-righteousness. Righteousness are those who walk with God and they're authentic in their walk with God. Self-righteous are those who walk with God and they put on one front for you to see, but in reality, there's something else. It's righteousness versus versus self-righteousness and God wants authenticity. God wants righteousness. As a matter of fact, here's what I would say Jesus wants. Jesus wants your walk to match your talk. Right, there are some people that are very gifted at speaking Christianese. There are some people who are very gifted. You figure out the Sunday school vocabulary very quickly. You learn some Bible words that make you sound righteous. But here's what God wants. God wants people who their walk actually matches their talk. God wants people that the outside is a mirror of the inside. That is, your Christian life is an overflow of what comes out in your heart. Your Christian life, your outward walk with God is an overflow of what actually is going on in your heart. And God wants people that what people see to equal what you really be. That's not good grammar, but it's great preaching. It's great preaching. God wants 
what people see to equal what you really be. That is, God wants the exterior of your Christian life to match the interior of your Christian life. And when that happens, when those things all align, when your talk matches your walk and your walk matches your talk, and when the outside and the inside are just mirrors of each other, and when people, what people see about you is what you really are, that is true righteousness. But when you're trying to show more, than you do that's self-righteousness and it was a problem with the pharisees and it's a problem today how can we be righteous and draw people to jesus without being self-righteous and driving people away you know that's what happens right righteousness is an attractional quality to a lost and dying world. Your walk with God, when the power of God is on your life, when the favor of God is on your life, when the blessings of God are, is on your life, that is an attractional quality because people see that in your life. They see that in your family. They see that in your marriage. They see that in your work. They see that in your day-to-day activities. And it draws people to Christ. But when your words don't match your walk, when the inside doesn't match the outside, that is self-righteousness and that drives people away we've seen it in the southern baptist convention this week i get on vacation for less than 24 hours and start getting texts about have you seen what's happened in this pastor and this pastor and this pastor and and when the outside and the inside don't match it drives people away from jesus how can we be righteous without being self-righteous jesus told us how would you stand with me as we honor god's word by preaching if you're watching online or you don't have a bible it's up here on the screen you can look up here but but let's look in matthew chapter 6 we're going to skip around just a little bit i want to combine two passages matthew 6 verse 1 he he said this be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them otherwise you have no reward with your father in heaven So when you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and on the streets to be applauded by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Verse 16, flip over to verse 16. Whenever you fast, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites for they make their faces unattractive so that their fasting is obvious to people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting isn't obvious to others, but to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Thank you. You may be seated. Here's what I'd love to do in this sermon. I would love for God to get in all of our hearts and convict us uh, of of those shortcomings in our lives. And then I'd love for you to recognize, even in your own life, have self-awareness, even in your own life, of the difference between who you project to be and who you really are. So let's walk through these passages, and I'll do it quickly. In verse number one, Jesus starts talking about this idea, and he said, be careful not to practice your righteousness. Your righteousness in front of the, uh, that is your that is your public facing 
activities. Jesus said this, and it's important to notice this. He said, don't practice it in front of others. And you could add the word, just to be seen, just to be seen. Now, a casual reading in the English, you wouldn't grasp the definition of this word in the original of just to be seen. It doesn't mean a casual glance with your eyes. That's not the exact word. The actual word carries with it the idea of spectators. It's not a casual glance, but the word was sometimes used by people who would gather a crowd together to watch what they were about to do. So when Jesus said, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others just to be seen, he's not talking about people taking a casual glance at your life. No, Jesus is talking about people who get a crowd together, who watch them perform their righteousness. We see that even today. There are people, uh, can I say this? Can I say this humbly? There are people who can act one way on a stage, but they act another way in the pew. Right? You, you're not one way on the stage. Uh, can I say this? If you sing on the stage, Josh, you need to sing in the pew. If you raise a hand on the stage, you need to raise in the pew. If you talk about God as a preacher on the stage, you need to talk about God in the pew. It's not just when you're in front of a crowd, but Jesus had these people who were gathering a crowd together. And doing good was not the problem. The problem was their motivation. Jesus said this, when you, when you gather a crowd together to watch you, and when you only are righteous, when you have a stage, he said, you have no reward with your Father who's in heaven. That you get the reward you were seeking already. A crowd and human recognition. You say, so what's the difference? The difference between righteousness and self-righteousness is all about this one word, the word why. Why? Why are we doing what we do? Why are we living the way we live? Our why determines it all. Because if our why is to be seen by a crowd, Jesus would say that is self. And by the way, you don't have to be on stage. I just use that as an example. The crowd could be in your family. The crowd could be among your friends. The crowd could be your Sunday school class. It's all about the why. Are you doing your why for Jesus or are you doing your why for others? Verses 2 through 4, he elaborates on it a little bit more. And he said, when you give, we're supposed to give, right? Giving is commanded. We're supposed to give. But here's what Jesus was trying to tell us in all of this. He was trying to tell us your motives matter. Like why you're doing what you're doing, why you're giving, why you're serving, why you're singing, why you're preaching. Your motives actually matter. That's the difference between righteousness and self-righteousness. And Jesus said, hey, I want to tell you that don't do it like the hypocrites do. Now, the word hypocrites is a fascinating word. It's the word in the Greek that was used for the word actor, actor, like Hollywood, actor. In their day, a hypocrite, an actor, wore a mask and pretended to be someone he or she wasn't. And so Jesus said there are people that approach godliness that way. You put on a mask so people at church, the synagogue, and people in the streets, the people, you put on a mask and pretend to be something in front of those people that you really don't have the life to back it up 
Jesus used that word for actor to describe people who did good acts for appearance only to get praised by others. And again, Jesus said, whatever earthly recognition you get, that is your reward. And then we pick up the subject again, beginning in verse number 16. He, he changes the subject. And by the way, he said in that last phrase, and it's worth me, me discussing just for a moment because you have to put it in perspective. He said, but when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. That is uh, what we would call hyperbole. It is an, a, an extreme example to emphasize the total lack of showiness we're to have in the Christian life. And then he goes into verse 16. We pick up the same subject again, and he begins to talk about fasting. Now, here's what you need to know about fasting in Greek life. Fasting was mandatory for a Jewish man or woman one time a year on the Day of Atonement. You were supposed to fast but in between those times it was okay to fast individually or even groups would fast in order to all come together before God and and get a prayer answered and so the purpose for fasting was to for prayer it was to teach self-discipline it was to teach you that you could live with a lot less it was to so you would appreciate what God has already given you fasting if you don't know what fasting is the the most basic uh, definition of the word is when you go for a period of time without food that that's fasting now now fast can take other forms but the most basic that Jesus is talking about here is for go for an an extended period of time without food and so the purpose was to draw closer to God but the Pharisees had turned it into a way to gain public approval so Pharisees would literally put on makeup during their fast and they would disfigure their faces and and they would um, they would paint their face up so they looked pitiful so you'd be impressed by their holiness. They would moan and groan while they were fasting. So you'd be impressed by their holiness. And Jesus said, don't do that. Get up and put oil on your head, which was like, would be like you putting lotion on today or cologne on today. It was just daily hygiene. And he said, I want you to adopt spiritual disciplines for the right reasons, not for selfish desire or praise. When fasting becomes a performance, it ceases to be a righteous activity. When any spiritual activity becomes a performance, it ceases to be a spiritual activity. And if you do it the right way, your father who sees in secret will be the one that rewards you in heaven. That's the backdrop of righteousness versus self-righteousness. So in my last few minutes, can I make four statements that we need to know from that? Number one is this. Let me start with the obvious. Number one, holiness is expected. Holiness is expected. Now, don't, don't let this get lost in the sermon for, from Jesus. Don't be in such a rush to avoid self-righteousness that we forget God expects holiness in our lives. He talks about giving and prayer and fasting and self-sacrifice. All of that is part of holiness. God expects holiness out of your life. God expects you to be a genuine, born-again child of God living for Jesus. God expects holiness from your life. And we get that holiness from what we would call today spiritual disciplines. 
spiritual disciplines. Much of what Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter 6, we would put under the category of spiritual disciplines. It's through those disciplines that we grow in our daily lives to be like Jesus. It's the regular practice of holiness and righteousness that lets us unlock, unlock our walk with God. Spiritual disciplines, holiness. What do spiritual disciplines look like? Well, you can go through your Bible I just list them up here. I don't have time to give you verses on L, but the study of God's Word is a spiritual discipline. When you study the Word of God, it brings holiness into your life. Not only that, worship is a spiritual discipline. You say, what kind of worship? Public and private worship is a spiritual discipline. Again, if the only time you raise your hands is on the stage, that's not really worship. I raise my hands. Uh, my wife uh, used to have a, a run joke about our church members used to catch her going down the road with her hands in the air while she was singing a song, a praise song. In my quiet time in the morning, it's very common for me to have my hands raised in the air in worship. What I do on Sundays in worship is not what I do on Sundays. It's an overflow of what I do on Monday and Tuesday, Wednesday. Worship is a spiritual dis- discipline. Ser- service is a spiritual discipline. Like finding a place to serve God and serve Him. Finding a place to serve the church. I know P- Pastor Jeremy talked about that last week. You ought to have a place to serve. You ought to have something you do for the kingdom of God and for the church of God. It brings about holiness in your life. Not only that, fellowship is a spiritual discipline. That's why people who say, well, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. It's a true statement, but the actual statement is you do have to go to church to be a good Christian because fellowship is a spiritual discipline. Not only that, generosity is a spiritual discipline. Paul talks about it over and over again in the New Testament that our giving, what you give is an indicator of what's going on in your heart and life. When you tithe, when you give above and beyond your tithes, when you give to other things, those are spiritual disciplines that bring you closer to God. Not only that, uh, prayer is a spiritual discipline. Not only that, the Bible talks about rest being a spiritual discipline. Not only that, purity is a spiritual discipline. Mental purity, uh, physical purity. Purity, keeping your body from sin is a spiritual discipline that brings holiness into your life. Fasting is a spiritual discipline. When you skip a meal in order to focus on God, when you put down social media in order to focus on God, when you do without anything in life that means a lot to you because Jesus means more to you, that is a spiritual discipline when you focus on him fasting. Not only that, confession. Not not only that, celebration, thanksgiving, what God is doing in your life. Not only that, disciple making. All of those are spiritual disciplines that that, that, uh, theologians have recognized for centuries before me that says it's, it's the daily practice of these things. It's the regular practice of these things that brings holiness into my life. Holiness is expected of the child of God. That's how we grow in our relationship with him. Listen, he reveals himself. Hear me. Some people, they want to see God. They want to hear from God. But hear me. God reveals himself through our daily disciplines. And when you don't have these things in your life, you're not going to get what you need out of the Christian life. But hear me. When you have these things in your life, It makes the Christian life easier. And when you don't, 
you'll suffer the consequences of failing and have a struggling walk with Christ. I saw this the other day, it just came through the other day to me, and it was the aftermath of a bad night's sleep. You ever have a bad night's sleep? My wife and I say, so we don't sleep well, we're not good sleepers, I, I, I just, I, I get what I can. I don't require a tremendous amount of sleep, but I saw this, and I saw the aftermath of a bad night's sleep, and you can't read all this, but I hope you see some colors. For example, here's a blue line, morning, noon, and evening. The blue line represents your ability to think clearly. When you have a bad night's sleep, can I tell you this? All of your thinking should be done early in the morning. Because by nighttime, you're an idiot. (laughs) Nothing whatsoever. Your ability to focus is an orange line right here. Same as your clear thing. You don't get a good night's sleep. Man, by nighttime, you cannot focus. Uh, what else I got in here? Your, your motivation, when you don't get a good night's sleep, can I tell you something about motivation? It starts off low and stays low. You got none because all you can think about is going to sleep, right? For those of you who are parents of toddlers, you understand this purple line well, right? Then, uh, I love this one. The red line is irritability. You say, well, there's some things going up on the chart. There are. Being irritable goes up. So when you have a bad night's sleep, you start off mildly irritable in the morning, and this is how you get way, you go, matter of fact, you go off the charts irritable by the evening. And, and, and the last one is stress level, same thing. You, you start off mildly stressed in the morning without a good night's sleep, and then you go off the charts, off the charts. Why? When you don't get the sleep you need, nothing good happens after that. And I saw this chart and I thought exactly about this sermon. When you don't have the spiritual disciplines down in your life, chances are nothing good's going to happen in your Christian life. The righteous are those who are practicing the spiritual disciplines daily and regularly and walking with God and living a holy life. The righteous are those who their walk matches their talk through what you see is what they be. That is a righteous person. Here are the disciplines of the righteous, the study of God's word and worship. We just went over all of those. Those are expected in the Christian life. So ask yourself, are you, are you regularly studying God's word? Are you regularly worshiping? Are you regularly in service, fellowship, giving, prayer, rest, purity, fasting, confession, celebrating, thanksgiving? Decide, like, if you're not doing these, I, I want to be clear and I want to be kind. You cannot be holy and righteous before an almighty God. And if you're doing those things, you don't have to worry about self-righteous. You will be righteous. And when you don't do them and pretend that you do, that's called hypocrisy. Holiness is expected. Can I ask you on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 to 10, 10 being the greatest, would you rate, where are you on the spiritual disciplines scale? Because holiness is expected. Righteousness is expected. Jesus going through the Sermon on the Mount, one of the things that is very, very clear is he expects us to be holy and righteous before him. 
Number two, we get this clear word from Jesus. Number two, that humility is required. Jesus makes obvious a principle that heaven declares. Pride is not appreciated. Jesus said this, keep your righteousness as personal as possible. Don't do what you do for the crowd. Don't parade your good works for others. Now, that's not a total ban on others knowing what you're doing. Hear me. you got to catch this or you'll, you'll miss some of what I'm saying. For example, it's okay to let, is it ever okay to let others know you're fasting? Well, I would say sometimes it's necessary. Sometimes it's necessary. Sometimes uh, you, you may have to say to your husband or your, or your uh, wife, hey, I'm fasting today, so don't cook for me. I've had to do that many times. I'm fasting today. Don't cook for me. I'm, I'm going to skip this meal. Don't cook for me. We're not, we're not going to eat that. It's okay. But that's not the same thing as parading it down Main Street. Is it okay to ever let others know you're giving? Uh, it is okay sometimes to let others know you're giving. It, it's a leadership principle sometimes. Even as pastors sometimes, I let you know when I'm giving. For example, the family initiative. I, when I took the offering for that in December, I said, my wife and I have already donated that. And the reason I say that is I want you to know I'm not asking you to do anything I haven't done already. Like, like sometimes it's okay. But there's a difference between letting some people know out of necessity and parading it for others to see. Often it can and should be carried around in privacy because pride says, look what I've done, and humility says, look what God has done. And the Christian life requires humility. If you have a chance between putting the spotlight on you or the spotlight on God, 100% of the time, put the spotlight on God. I don't know if you've ever heard of this or not. It's called the spotlight effect, and every person in this room has experienced this. Here's what psychologists call the spotlight effect. It's when we think more people are thinking of us than what really are, or we think that People are thinking of us more than what they really are. For example, I'll give you a great way to explain it. When you go to, let's just say, an event or a party or something, and you walk into the room, uh, you tend to think when you walk into the room that everybody's looking at you. Your mind says, hey, everybody's staring at you. But, you know, in reality, they're looking for the bathroom. They're not looking at you at all. They're trying to find out where the bathroom is and happen to glance your direction when you walk in the room. But we think everybody's looking at us. So a psychologist named Tom Gilovich and his colleagues, they published a paper 20 years ago in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology. And here's what they did. They had one college student go into a room with an embarrassing Barry Manilow T-shirt on. And you say, how was it embarrassing? It had Barry Manilow on it. That's how it was embarrassing. Didn't anything else, just had Barry Manilow on it. So they had the student walk around the room and then leave the room, and then they came out and they asked the student, what percentage of the people noticed you had this ugly Barry Manilow T-shirt on? And the college student said, on average, said at least 50% of the people noticed and made a mental note about my embarrassing t-shirt. So then they emptied the room and they put all those people in a private room and they asked them, um, how many of you noticed the t-shirt 
that guy walked in the room with. And only 25% of the people even noticed the guy with the t-shirt on. In other words, in other words, the spotlight isn't on us as much as we think. But the problem in the Christian life is some people want it to be. Some people live their lives trying to get the spotlight on them. And they act more spiritual than they are. And they talk more spiritual than they are. And they try to sow more spirituality than what they have. And that's called pride. That's called self-righteousness. And, and James said this. Therefore he said, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And can I tell you in the Christian life, we all need grace. We all need the grace of God, but he doesn't give it to the proud. If you want to be righteous and not self-righteous, then don't do what you do for the crowds. Let your public persona be the overflow of your private one and be humble. Number three, he told us this, that hypocrisy is condemned. Can I give you the best de definition I can come up with for hypocrisy? It's when the public persona is more or greater than the private practice. It's when the public persona is more or greater than the private practice. The hypocritical Pharisees would disfigure their faces to make their spiritual agony look worse than it really was. And a hypocrite wants you to think that they are better than they really are, than they are godlier than they really are, than they are holier than they really are, that they are more righteous than they really are. And whether you, uh, and if you think that way, God said, you've already got your reward. Here's your reward. If you are a hypocrite, your reward is you making people think you're greater than you really are, but heaven is going to be a stark reality when you get there, by the way, if you get there. Because there's no rewards in heaven for faking people out. I coached my girls for probably 13, 14 years in basketball, started when they were five or six and coached both of them up through middle school and they're about five years. So we, we just played basketball all the time. And I heard a phrase one time, and I'm just showing you some video there of this, that I heard a phrase when my girls were playing basketball for the first time early on. I love the phrase. Uh, they, they said, that, somebody said one time, that's a million-dollar move and a 10-cent finish. And I said, what in the world is a million-dollar move and a 10-cent finish? And the guy said, well, that's when there's a lot of cool motion going on. There's a lot of dribbling. There's a lot of activity. There's a lot of breaking ankles. And, uh, man, there's just a lot of showboating going on. Then they shoot the shot, and they miss. Oh, it's a million-dollar move, but it was a 10-cent finish. The crowd cheers. Hear me. The crowd cheers for a million-dollar move, but the scoreboard doesn't click for a 10-cent finish. And I'm afraid we've got a lot of Christians who've got million-dollar moves, but they've got no finish, 
and the scoreboard of heaven never clicks for them. Their rewards are not in heaven. A million dollar move on earth. What do you mean, preacher? I mean, they can talk the Christian life and they can say the right words and they can pretend to be a good Christian. They can act like a good Christian. They can dress like a good Christian and they can praise like a good Christian. But the scoreboard of heaven never clicks. Why? They are a hypocrite. Their walk does not match their talk. And the stands down here may applaud, but the scoreboard of heaven never clicks. Hey, instead of trying to prove to others what you've got, why not just simply walk with Jesus so he knows? If you walk with Jesus, he'll make sure who needs to know knows. Why not just find a place and serve Christ without fanfare? I know Jeremy talked about it last week, but go help out in the nursery. Go help out in the kids' ministry. Go volunteer to greet or to drive a car. Walk with God. Do something without fanfare. God is not looking for people who can put on a show. He's looking for people who are authentic in their walk with him. Number four, I'm, I'm finished. Number four, Jesus told us this, helping is rewarded. Here's what I mean by that. Don't get the impression God doesn't want you to do everything we've talked about. He does. God wants you to give and to help and to pray and to fast and to serve and to walk. He wants you to do all of that. And for the authentic, genuine person who does that, here's what he said over and over in those verses. Heaven has its reward. That God takes notice of everything we do for his kingdom. The only question is this. Do you want your small reward here? Or your great reward there. Your small reward here, that is people noticing, or your great reward there. Here's what he said. Heaven, helping, is rewarded in heaven. Living the Christian life, holiness, is rewarded in heaven. You say, preacher, why in the world would you put all that work into serving God, volunteering, giving, um, doing all, why, why would you do all that when nobody notices? Because hear me, God always notices. Always. Close your Bibles. I'm finished. Stand with me across the room. All right, let me, let me do a poll. How many of you have Netflix? Can I see your hand? Or are you steal somebody's account? Can I see your hand? You have Netflix? All right. How many of you have ever clicked this button on Netflix. Can I see your hand? Skip intro. Skip intro. Netflix introduced that not too many years ago. They piloted it and then uh, put it out. And here's what they discovered. It caught on so wildly because they introduced it in like television series. And, and people got tired of watching the intro. And so they piloted it. And sure enough, it's, it caught on. And now, every, I mean, Everybody skips intro, right? Nobody watches the intro, especially on a series. Here's what Netflix just told us. Just a couple weeks ago, they told us. That button is clicked 136 million times a day. A day. You say, does that matter? Well, Netflix says that if you click it 136 million times a day, that humanity on Netflix 
in one day saves 195 years. That all of us together, clicking it 136 million times, we're saving parts of our life by skipping the 30-second intro. All of us together, 195 years. Why would we hit the skimp intro button? I'll, I'll tell you why. Because we want to skip the fluff and get to the real thing. And can I tell you something about the Christian life? The fluff is down here. If you're living your life just to be rewarded here, if you're living your life just so your family can say good job, just so your friends can think you're a good Christian, just so the preacher can think you walk with God, if you're living your life for that, can I encourage you to do something this morning? Hit the skip intro button in your life. Because those aren't the real rewards. The real rewards are in heaven. Quit living your Christian life so others will see it. Quit Quit learning Christianese so you can sound like a Christian. We don't care. You say, preacher, but I, I want to know the words you know. I don't know the words. I would want somebody that, you know what one of the most genuine things to us are we talk about all the time? It's when somebody was a hellion and Jesus saves them and they don't know any of our words and they start coming to church and get baptized and serving. You say, but preacher, they don't know what sanctification means. No, and it's glorious. It's glorious. Not a vocabulary test in heaven. Be judged according to your actual works. There are too many Christians that are play acting the Christian life. Watching online, Rossville here. You're play acting the Christian life. There, there, there are some of you listening to me this morning. Hear me. You're not actually a Christian. You've just been in it long enough to know how to act, know how to dress, know how to talk, know how to behave, know what to do, what to say. But you don't really know Jesus. There's no authenticity to your walk with God. It's self-righteousness, not righteousness. There's some of you here that you are saved and and. You're the same boat. You've learned all the right words. You've been doing it long enough. You know when to do what and what to say and how to say it. But, but the me we see is not the me you be. You're not really who you're pretending to be. That's hypocrisy. Today's a day to fix that. Would you bow your heads with me, close your eyes? If you're watching online, Jeremy has a word for you. Thank you, Pastor Joel, for that incredible message. And um, man, God calls us to a life of righteousness. And, and it's a life of holiness. And the righteousness in us, uh, Old Testament tells us that our righteousness is as filthy rags. And, um, but God produces godly righteousness in us through the work of His Holy Spirit in our lives. And um, we, we have to be obedient to Him. We have to be faithful to Him. We have to honor Him with our lives and our words and what we say and what we do. And perhaps you're watching this morning and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. There's, 
never been that time um, when you acknowledge Him as your personal Lord and Savior. And what happens so often is we try to produce that righteousness on our own. We try to be good and we try to do right and we try to follow the golden rule, if you will. And the truth is, we need the transforming power of the gospel. It begins with you understanding that you're a sinner. Your sin has separated you from God. You've got to be willing to admit that. You've got to believe that Jesus died on the cross, that He was buried dead in the tomb, and on the third day He rose again conquering sin, death, and hell to restore a relationship, to close the gap created by your sin. You've got to believe that, and then you have to confess Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. Maybe God spoke in your heart this morning, and maybe you need to give your heart and life to Christ. Tell God this, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner, and I'm sorry for my sin. I believe that Jesus died on the cross, that He was buried dead in the tomb, and on the third day, He rose again so that I can have a relationship with you. Lord, I ask you to come into my heart, take away my sin, be my Savior. Lord, I give my life to you in Jesus' name. Hey, if you prayed that prayer this morning for the very first time, we want to say welcome to the family. We want to celebrate that with you. We want to help you take next steps on your faith journey with Jesus. Hey, you're not alone. And, um, and if you would, click on the link we've just dropped in the chat box that says, I commit my life to Christ. We're going to send you a book that helps you take next steps. We want to connect with you and help you take next steps. And we want to be a partner with you on your faith journey with Jesus. Hey, it has been awesome to be together worshiping online this morning. I love our online family of faith. And I can't wait to see you next week. God bless you. Have a great week. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week as we help equip you to apply God's word to your daily life. For the latest updates about what's happening around Peavine City, be sure to connect with us on social media. For more information about Peavine, to get in touch with us or check out one of our services, visit us at peavine.org. Thanks for listening.